When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You are welcome. You're peppy today. You're kind of a little peppy. I feel good. Peppy. I feel. I mean, look in the sports world, everything is going great. It's going great. You know what I mean? And Baseball, also in the larger great. world. Oh, everything. Every, it, this is a real uh, high point, I think, for human culture right now. Oh. Right at this moment, Monday, February twenty eighth, twenty twenty two. We're nailing it. <laughs> the world is nailing it. <laughs> everybody is doing great and i should add you know just to catch people up on our uh because the last time we talked uh quite a bit about uh, you giving me covid which mm -hmm. was uh which was a classic and uh you're welcome yeah thank you and <laughs> and just as an update uh this past weekend through no fault of mike at all i had the worst stomach flu i can ever remember having just absolutely the worst and it was like, it was like, it was infinitely worse than COVID for me personally, obviously. And so how many, how many days are we talking that you were knocked out? Two days of sheer, literally could not get out of bed without throwing up oh. at that kind of awfulness. So, um, so I don't feel as bad about you giving me COVID basically. Well, here's the thing though. Um, I did sneak into your house and poison your food. <laughs> So <laughs> that, that so, would do it. I that feel would. a little bit responsible, not yeah. entirely responsible, but no. a little bit responsible. Well, you know, there's a small amount of, I did at different times. I did wonder if it was food poisoning. Um, and it, it might be, I don't know. I never yeah. went and got to see it. Um, so I'm, I'm almost recovered from that. Okay. Uh, but, but of course I am because I had to get out of bed to get uh, involved in the uh, baseball negotiate, just to catch up on what was going on, all of the movement. We are recording this on Monday, uh, which is today is the last day. Deadline day. Deadline day, quote unquote, that the owners have put on this uh, on this negotiation where they say after today, they're just starting to kill the hostages, essentially, yeah. right? I mean, they're just going to yeah. start canceling games. They're not bringing them back uh, because these are that's that's how the owners like to do business. Yep. And uh, so this will not run, of course, until probably Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So on Wednesday, we're going to be talking about how there was a deal struck, right? I mean, like, like how there was like a, a deal. Everything's everybody's happy. They're singing, right? I mean, that's the only way this can go. I Okay, two things. Number one, for literally no reason, I remain optimistic. I don't wow. know why. I, I don't know why. I I feel like um, 
they, they all the signs and indications would suggest that it, it is a fool's errand to be optimistic at this <laughs> right. point. And all indications are that they're still far enough apart that the concept of them getting a deal struck today uh, is a is an absurdity. Right. I I just I don't know why, but I I feel like we're going to I do feel like we're going to get good news now. That good news could simply be we've made enough progress that we're extending the deadline 24 right. hours, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? Right. But I maybe I'm, I'm going to look like an idiot when this is uh, put up on Wednesday, but I do feel a, some sense of optimism. The other thing to say is, and you wrote about this, and you should walk us through this, all they are arguing about is money at this yeah. point, right? It's just pure money in, an, in a number of different arenas. Some of it is... Um, is luxury tax threshold. Some of it is penalties for going above the luxury tax, some uh, ta uh, luxury tax. Some of it is minimum salaries, whatever. But so do us a favor, do me a favor, walk through to the best of your understanding after having been uh, barfing in your bed for two days, <laughs> walk us through exactly what they are fighting over at this moment. Yeah. So, so as we do that, I think this probably speaks to your optimism. And, okay. and this is why, because you and I cannot believe they would really throw this season away over money. Like, right. they, like, like if there was a larger purpose at stake here, if there was, if it was about free agency or it was about player safety, or it was about something that would be worth fighting over, then, you know, Hey, this thing could last forever. But the idea that it's all about money leads us to be optimistic, but, probably foolishly so right because right it's a lot of money and and the owners are not i don't know if you know this about billionaires they generally don't like giving away money there like, is a weird it was one of the weirdest um aspects of of western capitalistic culture that the people with the most money are the stingiest <laughs> and it's very it's very odd and like i know i know i know everybody says well they got to be billionaires by being aggressive with money i get i understand right. like intellectually but it's also like you have a asset that is worth at least a billion dollars. Yes. Basically, every baseball franchise is a billion dollar franchise. Even the very worst one. Royals just sold for a billion. That tells you they're right. all the Royals. Right. The Royals <laughs> sold for a billion dollars. So right. the funny thing to me is they, you know, they throw up, and Manfred did this the other day. They throw up these, you know, or the the, the apologists for the owners will say, like, you know, on a year to year basis, right, right. You know, the cash they don't, ca they're not cash. It's like, what do you talk on a year to year <laughs> basis? It's worth a billion dollars. If you need money, you can sell it for a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, like the idea that because there are some years, like the COVID year, where they actually are are cash negative. It's like. Welcome to the universe. Welcome to the be existing on earth that sometimes you don't make $150 million in pure profit every single year without, without fail. Like, yeah. Okay. I understand. That's true. Who cares? I right. don't, that, you, they, the amazing thing is that they think that statements like that will make us sympathetic and be like, Oh geez, <laughs> that, you know, like four years ago, they made $196 million in pure profit. <laughs> on their billion and a half dollar asset. And this year they only made $23 million. Right, <laughs> right. What are they doing? How do they think this is a, a winning argument? It is so bananas. It's it's absolutely insane. And and the, the, there are two points to be made about that. One is that the only team that, that actually has public figures 
are the Atlanta Braves because of the way that they constructed the, the deal right. there. And they, their public figures just showed they made a hundred plus million dollars last year. I mean, like yeah. none of the, none of the owners want to open up their books when they're forced to open up their books. All you see is money. It's just all money. you see is money. Money it's is falling from the sky, falling from the sky. And, and then the second part of this is, and this, we never talk about this. You get to own a baseball team. I mean, like, <laughs> like all that comes with that, like that could be a loss leader for you. you know, yeah. It's, 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 it's your public face. It, it's unbelievable enjoyment. You get to run and own a baseball team. That should cost you money. They that act you like not make money off of that. They act like they're like, look, yes, we do make a lot of money, but our job is to <laughs> remove landmines and it's very dangerous and it's drudge. It's, it's difficult work that yes. has a high risk. High risk. And, and so we deserve to make the, you own a baseball team. I mean, it is, the cushiest, happiest job happiest. on earth. And, and the idea that you would think that the that we care one way or the other how many millions of dollars you made this year versus last year is so absurd. It, it, it absolutely defies any kind of logic or reason. And then, by the way, you and I both seized on this, as did many other people. The AP of all oh, organizations my gosh. show a picture of Max Scherzer showing up to the negotiation session the other day. And the, the actual AP headline, the most trusted name in news and factual information, says Max Scherzer driving his Porsche shows up, uh, arrives at the negotiations. It's like, they just drop that in. It's like, is the AP being run by by, by the baseball owners now? Yes, like, yes. Just have to have to mention that. Like, and I, I tweeted what, cars did the owner show up in and your response was yachts which is probably true right right no it's it's uh, i the the way some of this has been covered has been mind-blowing but here's where here's where they're separate right okay so the first big point is and definitely the biggest point is the and i will put quotes around this competitive balance tax which is right. what they call the luxury tax even though it does nothing for competitive balance nothing no. okay but the taxes essentially has served the last few years as a soft salary cap, whether anybody wants to admit that or not. It is a it is a certain amount of money that if you go over it, you are then taxed and that money is then given to small market teams uh, who have proven in the past that they will just pocket that money. And, and, right. and, and, so, and, the, and the rate at which you go over it increases if you go over it in multiple consecutive years. Right. So if you go over it the first year, it's like a 10% tax on the amount above it. Right. Uh, the second year is whatever, 25% and then 40%, whatever. It becomes so that, much, much more onerous as time goes on. But right. what the owners want to do is make it more onerous right away. That right. is what they want to do. They want to increase the the uh tax rate um and they want to keep it more or less where it is they're willing to come up a couple of million dollars here and there but that they have not as far as i know come off of the idea that they want it to be basically a 50 percent uh tax hit on right. you plus they want to include other penalties like uh competitive penalties such as uh, losing um, uh, like draft picks and that kind of thing. Right. The players obviously don't want any of that. The players want it much higher than it is, 40 or $50 million higher than what it is. And they don't want any increase in the, in the tax rate. And they definitely don't want any player competitive thing. This is being run by the small market teams. 
Right. The small market teams essentially have 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 bullied the big market teams into creating this this tax rate, and they came into it with this idea of like it'll be we'll then put that money right back into the game and 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 uh, and develop our own play and give us a chance to win, and that's not what happened at all. They really truly have been pocketing the money, uh, which the players understand, which is why they have no interest. Like one of the things that the owners said at the very beginning was creating a floor so that there was a, a, a minimum amount that mm-hmm. teams had to spend. And the players pushed it out of hand because they know that these small market teams, it's they have no interest in, in spending that money. They will spend as little as possible. And of course, with the floor, they wanted all sorts of other things. Anyway, the floor is gone. Right. So big, big difference there. That is the biggest difference by far. Right. The second big difference is how you pay young players. So as of right now, as you know, uh, you three years until you are arbitration eligible, eligible, uh, sometimes four, depending right. on how if they, they manipulate, manipulate your time. service time. Yep. Right. Right. Six years until you're a free agent. And the players at one point wanted to push on free agency. They went nowhere. They backed off. So now what they want to do is create a pool of money. That would be a bonus pool that would be paid to younger players for outstanding play. So essentially, if you're one of the best catchers or one of the best first basemen, you get MVP votes, you get in the all-star game, there would be a pool of money that the owners would put together that would pay those players uh, these bonuses. Right. They seem to be in somewhat agreement on the pool itself, but the amount of money that goes into the pool and how many players it play uh, players it pays is a pretty wide gap. I, the right. players at last that wanted it at more than $100 million and the owners, I think it offered 20 or something like that. So so yeah. that's not, that's probably workable, um, but but it's, it's they're not close on that. The, it's, it brings up one of the salient points about the economic structure of the game, which is that in general, guys are dramatically underpaid for the right. first six years of their careers and That's then right. dramatically overpaid for the last however many years of their careers. It's a ridiculous system right. because you have guys in, you know, year ARB two years, like, or, or, or before that, even like second year of, of league minimum, sure. like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. and people like that who are creating something like if you go by, you know, the fan graphs and other places have ways to determine basically how much a win is worth one, right. one, one on war the open market, on the open market. And it's, you know, a certain number of millions of dollars. It's like six or seven or $8 million, $8 million per million. win. Right. So you get guys who are creating, you know, $80 million of value and being paid $600,000. That's right. And then those players sign 10 year, 12 year deals for $400 million. And when they're 38, they're creating, you know, six and a half million dollars of value and getting paid $45 million. It's a very weird system. And, and because there is a um, you know, there's this mad scramble when these guys get to free agency, when they're 28, 29, they, they, the, the competition is enormous to sign them in certain cases. And that means that they have to go to more years and more money and everything else. And then you have Albert Pujols right. not even playing, being released by the Angels when he's still making $30 million a year, even though he's worse than the re- average replacement player. So right. it, it, the economics of it are so screwed up and so ridiculous. And um, changing and ever shifting yeah. because what's happened is that teams are no longer giving those big contracts to older players. They are right. going younger and younger and younger. So 
for a lot of players, there is no payday waiting for them. The middle level free agents, like it's always going to be fine for the for the Max Scherzers and the Mike and Trout, the, Mike Trouts yeah. and Bryce Harpers, guys like that. But the middle level free agents are just not getting signed, period. Not for any amount of money. If you're 31 and like a good player, a two-win player, teams are like, I got a 19-year-old kid in double A that can do that for me. I don't right. need to spend so i'll pay but i'm only going to pay what i would you know a little more than i would pay that kid and yeah or the or it's the one year tryout deal right. you have to prove yourself again and then you have to prove yourself again the next year and and the, and that is when you have such an enormous difference between the, a league minimum player six hundred and fifty thousand dollar player and a 35 million dollar player if you if you look at it and you say like well for $35 million a year, every year for 10 years, we can get four and a half wins. Or we have this guy who can come up, we'll pay him $600,000 and get three and a quarter wins. Right. Why in the world? I'll find the other you... wins. I'll find right. them. You know, yeah, I'll exactly. Find them somewhere else, you know? So it's smarter. I mean, teams, let's be honest. I mean, even at the time the teams were doing a lot of these Ryan Howard moves or, or whatever, everybody knew it was bad. Everybody knew like that deal is not going to pay off. It's going to, it's going to be a disaster. And, but teams kept doing it anyway. So it's sort of kept the system going, but now teams are not doing that for the most part. Now, like there, it still happens. Some teams want to make a splash. The Rangers just went out and paid Corey Seager a ton of money and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and what Mark, Marcus Semyon, right. Didn't they pay him a ton of money? So, yeah. I mean, it's still, it still can happen and the owners will point to those situations, but those situations are becoming more and more the exception right. rather than the rule. And both of those players, by the way, are big stars. I mean, neither one of them is like, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the five year, $90 million player that's gone. Like it's right. like those, like you, there's the, you feel no reason to do that, especially because the other thing that's happened is that players are they're better when they come up now like right. like whether whether it's because of of the the training they're getting in high school uh because of you know just the way the minor leagues are, are working whether it's because players are just more advanced physically than they've ever been now you come up at 19 and you're Juan Soto right you're you're like <laughs> like, like 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 you're you could become like instantly one of the best players in the game the minute you step on the field and that's new that's a new thing there's another thing going on too, I think, which is that, and you're seeing this right now in basketball. And I, I haven't heard anyone talk about this. I'm sure I'm not the first person to bring this up because it's a fairly obvious point. But like everyone is talking about Zion, maybe trying to force his way to the Knicks, right? And the, the big issue for Zion is there has never been an NBA player who has turned down a rookie max extension, right? Uh, because it's so lucrative. Yeah. It's such an enormous, uh, it's, it's when you, it's the moment that if you're a young player who has come into the league and proved himself or, or has a bright future, it's the moment you sign on the dotted line, you're set for life because yeah. it's, you know, whatever it is, however many years at times, however, you know, many tens of millions of dollars, like no one has ever turned it down. It's never happened. Right. The, the guys who, who move on are the guys who, um, who then get to the end of that contract. And then they could, there's a bonus. You can make more money by extending with your current team, but, but at that point still they're make, so set. Yeah. doesn't maybe. matter. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the thing that's occurred to me with Zion, it, it, because people are speculating, you know, guys only played 82 games or something right. over the course of three years now, <laughs> but the, 
people are speculating, will, will he do this? And, the, and the, the, the thing that's occurred to me is that the, like when you look at like James Harden changing teams twice within a year and, um, and, you know, turning down essentially two different chances to sign an extension with the team that you're playing on for the, right. for the ultra max, whatever. But it occurs to me that when you get to a certain amount of money, like what is the difference, the ultra max, the difference in the ultra max and a max from some other team is significant, but in both situations, it means that your great grandkids are going to be rich. So, right. Right. so like the, the, the incentive the, the all of these incentives in terms of how you are, uh, pl- they're trying to get players to stay with their own teams and stuff. Those incentives become moot yeah. when the amounts of money become so great because who really cares? And if you're Zion, you think to yourself, okay, I could sign a max or an ultra max, a super max, whatever in new Orleans, or I could sign a regular old humdrum max <laughs> contract in New York. And if I'm in New York, the, the, the marketing opportunities and the stage I'm playing Infinite, on is so yeah. much bigger yeah. that I'll, my, my face on billboards in times square, the number of products that will want me to sign for them. And just being in New York it will more than make up for Absolutely. the money I'm losing by signing this super max in new Orleans. So what's interesting about sports in general, specifically the NBA. And now I think in, in, to some extent in baseball too, is that when you get to these extreme high numbers, the, all of the little things, the little, little mechanisms that they've put into these contracts to incentivize certain things just become meaningless. And yeah. now it's just a race. Like these teams, these guys are incentivized more to basically turn everything down and just go onto the open market. So, uh, so the, the owners have tried to conspire in certain ways with these collective bargaining agreements to give to give the small market teams the advantage in terms of re-signing players in the NBA or or in baseball's case, they they're trying to like you know cut off the amount of money that uh, that, that each team can pay or whatever. But at a certain point, it's like the, all that stuff falls apart because the guys at the far end of the of the bell curve are just going to blow these things up anyway. Yeah. And, and I don't know, it's, I, I just don't know if, if like, it's weird because we can look, stand in the, uh, as fans and look at the situation and see how absurd it is. And you wonder whether they know something we don't or something, or like, I mean, the only possible answer really is collusion that when they, when they, when they're putting in a competitive balance tax, and they're the ones who are like, we have to keep, be fiscally responsible. We have to, it's like that, that is, is it, is it that they are in your mind? Is it that they are like simply, this is, this is a way for us to keep player salaries in check because it gives us a way to say, Hey, I'm sorry, we would love to pay you this much money, but we can't go over the competitive balance tax. Or are they trying to curb their own worst instincts? In other words, in football, I firmly believe that the luxury tax is because those guys are such lunatics, Jerry Jones and oh, yeah. Daniel Snyder and all those guys are such lunatics that if, if, you know, uh, who's the right example, like if Patrick Mahomes hit the open market, Jerry Jones would give him a hundred million dollars well, if there were no, if there were no luxury tax. Right. And so I, I believe that I've always believed that it's like, they're, they're such gangsters that they are, this is the only way for them to, curb their own terrible instincts for throwing away money but in baseball and basketball i think it's something else i think there's some other and i don't know what it is i'm wondering if you have any insight 
into like in baseball is uh, all of these little mechanisms, all of these fights, are they curbing their own worst instincts? Are they simply trying to suppress salaries? Are they, is it a way to essentially collude by putting the same limit on all of the teams? Like, what is it? What is the, what's the main thrust of why they want this kind of stuff? to be in place? No, I really think it's a combination of those things. There's definitely a trying to uh, prevent their, their worst instincts. Right. I mean, there's no question. And that is not so much, the case of of you know small markets it's 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 to prevent uh because why wouldn't the boston red sox just go ahead and do what they need to do to win if it doesn't cost them any more than than what they're paying right like i mean you know so but i think in, in baseball what makes it interesting is i think baseball more than any other sport in america has this small market versus big market mentality right right it's such a local game Mm-hmm. Uh, the NBA is a very national game. The NFL is the national game. Baseball is very local. So there's no, there's, there's just not the same drives. There's not the same goals. If you're owner of the Kansas city Royals or the Colorado Rockies uh, or the, or the, you know, Minnesota twins, if then if you are the Dodgers or the giants or the, or the Yankees or the, or the Red Sox, it's just, you realize in some ways there's three fights going on. There's the players trying to fight for themselves. There's the big market owners trying to fight for their right to, to not put money into the small market pocket and put it into the game. And there's the small market trying to, trying to go ahead and, and even the game out. So, so I think that's the big issue. The big issue is that you really have. And so far the small market owners, I mean, I was reading something today by Evan Drellich over at the athletic. He wrote it last September, and it explains basically how we got here. And it's a very good piece he wrote last September uh, over at The Athletic. And in it, he talks about these little sneaky things that the owners threw into the last couple of CBAs that really changed the game entirely. And one of those is the slot money for the draft, as an example. They basically put a salary cap on the draft. Right. And, and not only now that was purely, it seemed to limit the amount of money that players could get coming out. So, you know, like Scott Boros will complain that if you were, if you're the best player coming out of the draft, if you're Steven Strasburg and you're the number one pick in the old days, you hold out for what you think you're worth. Yeah. And now there's no point in holding out. You're not going to get more than the number one slot, which is whatever, $6 million or whatever it is, which sounds like a lot of money, but Steven Strasburg's maybe, I mean, he's pretty much a good example for this. If you get Steven Strasburg for $6 million, even at age 21, and you have him, you get him for the next six years, plus whatever you do. Yeah. That's the best $6 million you're ever going to spend. You've paid him $6 million. Then you pay him $600,000 a year for three years. Then you pay him $2 million and then $8 million and then $20 million. Right. And you've gotten six years of an ACE for, for the, for, you know, 30 million bucks total, which is invaluably incredible. I mean, if he's healthy, that's why I was saying Strasburg because of the injuries, but if he's healthy, that's $150 million of value minimum. Easy. Yeah. And, and the, the only equivalent really in sports is when you draft Russell Wilson right. in the fourth round and you've paid him nothing right. and he is so good right away that he wins a Super Bowl for your team and gets you back to another Super Bowl and you're still paying him a million dollars, which frees up untold millions of dollars exactly. in a salary cap sport to play to pay Richard Sherman 
and to pay, uh, you know, uh, whoever, uh, the entire Legion of Boom the defense. Legion of Boom, yeah. And then, it, and then what happens is as soon as he makes money, the team falls apart because you now are paying him $30 million a year and you've and you 29 million fewer dollars to pay all of these other guys. And by putting a salary cap on that, who do you blame? You blame Russell Wilson. I mean, that's, right. the owners yes. are like- That's the genius of it. It's the genius. It is the absolute evil James Bond villain genius is that- the the we don't have any idea what the owners make but we know to the penny what the players make mm -hmm. and we know how it affects the team that we love so so we're ticked off at albert pujols for getting paid what he deserves uh finally at the end of his career because it's preventing the angels from doing this and this and this it's it's so wickedly brilliant that that we you know at at the risk of drawing in global events and politics to this i actually thought of uh, it, after a number of i thought of a number of other things but this occurred to me when i was thinking about what recently ha has happened in ukraine sure because uh the the u.s had this kind of brilliant strategy in the buildup to Putin invading Ukraine. And the strategy was the second they learned something with their intelligence gathering services, they just came out and announced it. So it was like, it was, there was like every day it was like, hey, here's what Putin's about to do. He's gonna make a false flag operation. He's gonna, he's gonna blow up his own, you know, tanks or something and say that Ukraine attacked him and that's gonna be the pretext to war. And then the next day it was like, okay, here's what Putin is doing. He's gonna yeah. do this and this and this. And, and like the, for, for the entire history of the world, that intelligence gathering has been like, okay, this is private information. We're going to share this with our allies, whatever. But by making it public, they forced Putin's hand. And eventually Putin, who is a madman and a lunatic and delusional, was like, okay, I just, I guess I'm just going to start a war. Yeah. And there was no pretext. There was no, he didn't try to do any of the things. Now, who knows if he really would have, but the the fact is that he that the public airing of that information was a, such a brilliant strategy and i was uh, and it made me um it made me feel like like everything else it that the the there is power in simply uh in sun sunlight is the best disinfectant and yeah. the more information that everybody has about everything the more you understand the situation and i know it's an absurd analogy we're talking about war on one hand and dumb sports salaries on the other hand but the fact of the matter is that the that owners in sports have been uh, have have used the the privacy of the closed book system and the and their their anonymity for the entire history of sports sure. in order to put all of the onus on the labor and and the the best thing that that athletes could do is open the is get information about how much money all these guys have and how much money they make and just put it out there right. and then then potentially the playing field would be leveled. No, it's, it's true. And it's really an interesting history for years and years. The owners did not want the amount that they paid players to be public because they didn't want players to know what other players made. Right. So, right. so for years they kept that quiet and then they come came to realize that, wow, if we put out what we're, we're paying these players, they're, they're really back to a corner because one, it's a lot of money. So fans are just going to sit there and, and really say, they're not going to care what we make. They're going to care what they make. Right. And two, when they tied it to salary caps and luxury taxes, they really put, I mean, I talk to fans all the time who will say to me, and they're not wrong. They're like, look, I'm not rooting for the owners and I'm not rooting for the players. I'm rooting for me and my team. That's all I care about. And, and it, when I see a player that's overpaid and he's preventing my team from winning, 
yeah, I'm going to be mad at him. I mean, it's it's such it's such a wickedly smart way uh, for the owners to do this, and that's why the owners are winning this thing. And 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 eventually, maybe something breaks today. Maybe there's uh, to me, I I wrote that there. I think there are three things that can happen today, and we'll see on Wednesday if I'm right. One is they get close enough that everybody expresses optimism and they keep talking and maybe mm-hmm. we close in on a deal and everything works out. They, this, this, this deadline for the season, we all know is completely artificial. They, yeah. they can do what they need to do, right? The second option is that they don't get close to a deal. I think this is the most likely, but they kind of keep talking anyway because neither side wants to be seen as the one that's gonna break off negotiations. But the third one, which I think is a real possibility, is they don't get close to a deal and they break off talks. Oh. And and I mean, that happens and we, who knows how long we're in this. in this. Uh, You're looking after. at the best case scenario is like an 80 game season at that point, right? It's like a half season or something. I would like, think it's going to take a month or two for sure to, yeah. to if, if it really comes to the point of breaking off talks. And then it's going to be like, all right, are you bringing in a, an arbitrator or you, how are you dealing, you know, and, and the Congress probably tries to get involved. I mean, it would be ugly if it gets to that point. Maybe the owners don't want that to happen, but maybe they do. Like, that's the other thing about this is that the owners certainly have, have gamed this out, right? They know exactly how many fans are going to leave if they, if the season is postponed for a month exactly what it'll mean to the bottom line, exactly how television will handle it. Like they know where the real line is and wherever that line is, they'll push right up to it. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I think that you're that scenario, that doomsday scenario where the season is sliced in half or, you know, in a, obviously in a true doomsday scenario is it just disappears entirely you shudder to think about what it means for the future of a sport that is teetering on the brink. And because you're now look, the NBA is fully back, has a bunch of bright young stars in it. It's a really fun year. The Harden Simmons thing is fascinating. So great. Philadelphia, like it's Philadelphia, by the way, right now, best case scenario so far for Daryl Morey, like Harden comes in and it suddenly is super cut and is in incredible shape has 15 assists a game. The offense is clicking. He and Embiid look like absolutely unstoppable. Embiid, oh. Embiid was like 23 for 27 from the line in the game last night. Like it was he unbelievable. Like just every foul down every play and hit every free throw and Harden had a triple double. They suddenly look like, oh, they're going to win it all. But we also haven't seen what happens when Durant and Simmons come back and they right. start playing together. The Celtics are heating up. The, all the all these teams, the the Bucks and the and the Bulls are still lurking in the East, and that's the East, which is the worst <laughs> of the two conferences because the Suns and Jazz played a thrilling game the other day, and Golden State looks unstoppable again, and Clay Thompson is back. So you're basically now saying, okay, the 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 NBA essentially owns christmas to june yeah. at this point right i mean except for obviously the the first month january is the nfl's but the nba owns call it february to june and then the nfl comes back in september like you're talking about baseball mattering really mattering for two or three months which is the all-star break around the all-star break to the playoffs 
And even when you get to the playoffs, so many more people already care about the NFL week yeah. two than they do about the first round of the baseball playoffs. If they if they toss this season in the garbage, it is very difficult to imagine the league coming back from this. Like I just I know that people have prophesized the end of various sports at various times, and sports are are seemingly seemingly endlessly elastic in terms of the way that they can rebound, but boy, it does baseball seem like a precarious sport right now. And at a time when with Juan Soto and Tatis and Vlad Jr. and all these guys, they should be, this should be a golden age. There are so many incredible young players in the sport right now. Yeah, This should absolutely be a golden age of baseball. And they're, they're threatening to take all of those incredible young players after a year, uh, you know, a year and a half after the entire season was basically 60 games and some right. weird playoffs and the Dumps, Dodgers yeah. won and nobody cares that that idea that you would this close to the COVID season that you would flush another season down the toilet is stupid to a degree that it, it is impossible to fathom yeah no I mean it's unbelievably stupid I don't know you know it's it's let's face it we're suckers as fans right like we come <laughs> we just always come back we do I mean not everybody uh, there are people I talk to all the time still that have not come back since 94, you know? Uh, yep. So I know that you lose some, that's why I'm saying, I think they, they know what is at stake here. And, and it's probably not as doomsday as we want to believe it is, or would like to believe it is. Uh, it's probably one of those things where they're like, people will be mad. They'll forget by September. It'll be, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's the cynical, but that's the cynical approach you take when you're fighting over several hundred million dollars. It's, yep. it's tough. all right before. So we are doing two podcasts. Uh, again, we are going to, this is our, we call this the mothership, the mothership, the mothership. And, and we have two more topics for the mothership. Uh, and then we will, we'll come back with our, uh, questions, uh, and draft. But before we get to, uh, that, uh, what about this new Derek Jeter news? Okay, so have you heard about the new no. news? So this is breaking. Here we go. Love when we can break news here on the break podcast. news that will air two days after it broke. Exactly, and uh, so so people get ready. You will be shocked by this. Can't wait. Uh, Derek Jeter uh, will no longer serve as Marlins CEO. Whoa! And is relinquishing his ownership stake in the team, saying that he has a different view uh, of the team's direction. Whoa. How about this? What do we make of this? Wow. I don't know. I just heard about this myself. So Okay, so two two possibilities immediately come to mind. Number one, there is some uh majority ownership plan for the franchise to move them or wow. to to do yeah. some kind of yeah. huge significant thing or or just or just he was promised if we slash the payroll, get rid of Stanton, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that the, the, the sluices will open up and they'll be able to sign certain guys or whatever, or expand the payroll or something like that. And they've now reneged on that or something like that. That's so option one is essentially just some kind of big business plan thing. Right. right. Option two would be there is some other opportunity for him that he has to forego uh, ownership in a team. In other words, is he buying into clutch sports or some <laughs> kind of agency? You know yeah. what I mean? Like where, where the, where it is a conflict for him to have an ownership stake in a team yes. uh, that would, that would require him to divest. What, right. I, 
Are there other, what, what else could it possibly be? Well, yeah, I mean, look, what, what, uh, what our guy, uh, Ken Rosenthal is saying here is it suggests, um, that uh, a possible falling out with Sherman, Brian, uh, Bruce Sherman, the, okay. the owner, which of course makes some sense. Sherman might want greater control. That makes some sense. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, first of all, I think whether or not he uh, needs to divest to get involved in some other major uh, business opportunity uh, or not, he will get involved in some other major business, right? I mean, like, like right. even if he doesn't have to divest, uh, I would imagine that he would view this as like, hey, I'm, I'll be fine. I can, I, you know, maybe he'll go into crypto. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, it, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll be fine. I gotta believe that he was sold a bill of goods on this, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what it feels to me. Like he was sold a bill of goods. He was told he was going to be able to run this team. Look, I, Derek Jeter is, is Derek Jeter doesn't want to wreck the reputation and, and legacy of Derek Jeter. Well, so this is the key. So I'm reading his statement now. Here's what he says. I will no longer serve as CEO, nor as a shareholder in the club. We had a vision five years ago to turn the Marlins franchise around. And as CEO, I have been proud to put my name and reputation on the line to make our plan a reality. Yep. Through hard work, trust, and accountability, we transformed every aspect of the franchise, reshaping the workforce and developing a long-term strategic plan for success. That said, the vision for the future of the franchise is different than the one I signed up to lead. So... He doesn't say the thing about put my name and reputation on the line without that being right. the reason. Because he was like, I'm Derek Jeter. I was a golden child. I have yes. golden statues of myself in every neighborhood in New York. <laughs> and I'm in Monument Park in like seven different ways. Brief side note. Did you read the thing about Paul O'Neill? We, we texted about this. Yes. Paul O'Neill's Paul, so Paul, Paul O'Neill is getting a statue. Statue in Monument oh, or a Park. Plaque. I, I can't remember, but this is the point. <laughs> the point is when you think about Monument Park, you're like, oh, that's where they put the famous Yankees. It turns out there's like seven different <laughs> there's seven different concentric circles of hell right. that relate to Monument Park. There's plaque, name, jersey number, statue. That's right. Uh, you can get a statue made out of butter. Uh, there's all these different like degrees to which people can be part of Monument Park, which is so funny to me that like the Yankees, nobody's obsessed with themselves in their history, like the New York Yankees. God bless them. Anyway, the point is Jeter doesn't say that thing about my name and reputation. If it isn't like I was, I have, I was a Teflon bulletproof right. uh, brand. And by, by continuing, I was promised certain things by leading this organization. And when you, if you're not going to deliver them, then my brand and name and reputation will be hurt and dented and dinged. And I can't be a part of that anymore. That's got that. Once I read that statement, that's yeah. what it's. No, that that's, that's what I was thinking as soon as I saw it. I mean, it feels to me like for, you know, for our many uh, dings on Jeter through the years, the guy, you know, the, the guy probably got as much out of a career as a, as a, as a person can get. I mean, he left the game in the most utterly beloved way. He's he's the all-time Yankee in so many people's minds. Uh, he was a he was a terrific player, but he was a much bigger figure than he was player. And he did he absolutely put his name on the line 
for the for the Marlins, which was always a big risk. Like like yeah. why you thought that was going to work is is beyond me. But he's like, I'm putting my name and my reputation on the line. And then he kind of probably felt like, hey, we're making some progress. We've had some bad luck, some bad breaks. We're making a little progress now. And they probably came to him and they said, yeah, we're tearing this thing down again. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to be a part of this. And yeah, I don't that's, blame that's him. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm on his side. I, I can't believe it. But I, I'm I guess the, the real thing you would say is what made you, Derek Jeter, think that the Marlins were going to do anything <laughs> except that. Like, like how, no, it the, wasn't the, the right move. Is, it was is, not... The judgment is the is what should come into question. Okay, so by the way, so let's just we get the Paul O'Neill thing right. So his number is being retired. Great, but I don't believe that means like his number twenty one enters Monument Park. But I I don't know if that means that people can't wear number twenty one anymore. I think it I think it does. I believe okay. that means you can no longer wear number twenty one. The but it, but again, your number goes into Monument Park, but he doesn't have a statue in Monument. No, no, Park. no, he's not getting a statue. In Monument Nor is there a plaque. But he has a him. plaque. He does Monument. have a plaque. I think he has a plaque in Monument Park. No statue, but he is the number is retired. By the way. What number isn't retired with the Yankees at this point? I I cannot wait until when we're when we're old and gray and we're on our deathbeds. <laughs> there's gonna be a Yankee game where like the new whoever the new Aaron Judge is, whoever right. the new Garrett Cole is, is wearing number eighty three <laughs> because that will be the only number available to the best player on the Yankees. <laughs> I gotta say, look, Paul O'Neill was a fine player, man. That's what I don't doing? know, man. What are we doing? Retiring hey, his retiring number? Paul O'Neill's ever. He didn't even play with the team that long. <laughs> no, he was a red he was for a red. many years. Who would be the Red Sox equivalent of retiring Paul O'Neill's number? It would be. Uh, I'll tell you exactly who it would be. It would be um, uh, Mike Lowell, right? <laughs> Mike <laughs> Mike Lowell go. played played with the team for like you know whatever it was five years or something. Right. Won right. a World Series MVP. Was a huge part of that of that team. Sure. No question. But like retiring his number, <laughs> does anyone remember Mike Lowell's number on the Red Sox? Like, what are we doing? Like, I, I mean, I'll love Mike Lowell forever. What a, sure. what a, what a wonderful, uh, like he was a throw in in that deal. It, in, it, that was it the was, best part. Yeah, it was, it was, there was a salary dump, and then he became the leader of the team, a great defensive third baseman, had huge hits all through that postseason. Right. And and I a hero, Red Sox hero forever. Retiring his <laughs> number? Are you out of your mind? I mean, that 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 is reserved for essentially to me should be reserved for lifers. Like it's gotta be. It's gotta be. You, you I I believe you cannot have your look. There are special reasons to retire. Now, like the Angels retired uh, the coach's number, right? Right, or, right. Or the Royals retired Dick Hauser's number. He died young and all that. Right. There are reasons. But beyond those reasons, you're not in the Hall of Fame. You're not close to the Hall of Fame. Well, that you don't is get the, your number retired. That is the Red Sox institutional rule. Is right. You, you don't get your number retired unless you are in the Hall of Fame. Right. And as a result, the Red Sox, who have been around every bit as long as the Yankees have, they have like six numbers retired. It's yeah. it's Joe Cronin, terrible racist, Joe Cronin. <laughs> it's Bobby Dorr. It's Williams. It's Fisk. It's Yastrzemski. It's guys, it's guys who like played with the team forever. I mean, I'm right. sure Ortiz's number will be obviously Ortiz's number will be retired be now. Retired. Yeah. No question. And, and, but like the, the idea How that much like different would it be retiring Nomar's number than try to retire Paul O'Neill's number. 
it no more better no more better deserves his number to be retired by the red sox than paul o'neill does to the yankees no question yeah Yeah, i i think that's right all right well the last thing i wanted to talk about before we move on is you you've already brought it up so i watched the uh we're going to jump to the nba i did watch the knicks uh sixers game yesterday and i i think it's been pretty well established uh here on this podcast that i am um a huge huge fan of um of uh um why am I losing his name? There you go. <laughs> Joel Embiid? <laughs> no, well, I am a huge fan of Joel Embiid, but I was James Harden of, of, of Harden. Yes, I've been a huge fan of Harden for a long time, enough that I don't even remember his name. But I'm a huge fan <laughs> and, and have long been. And, and we used to, we actually have had on this podcast arguments because you are not as big a fan on you sort of developed a little more of a fanhood for him later, but but you really didn't like him. Anyway, so I would, I've been following this Harden Embiid thing and all of these crazy, they're never going to be able to play together. They're going to, they're going to fight with each other. There's not, yeah. there are not enough basketballs for them, blah, 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 on and on and on. And then you watch them play. And you remember two things. One, they're both unbelievable basketball players, like yeah. unbelievable top five basketball players in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And number two, they'll figure it out. Because that is now the most unstoppable combination in the NBA. They do a pick and roll. There is literally no way to stop a pick and roll with those two. Yes, they, they do a pick and roll. And the, the, the genius of the pick and roll as a play is you force the defense, obviously, to commit to either guarding the guy holding the ball or the guy right. rolling to the hoop. And then the guy with the ball does the other thing. If they roll towards the guy who's running to the hoop, the guy shoots. If they guard you with the ball, you pass to the guy rolling the hoop and he lays it in or dunks or alley-oops it or whatever. And the, the, when you watch those two guys, you realize two things. Number one, unlike most pick and roll combinations, they can both do anything. (laughs) So they can, they can harden is a relentless scorer and an incredible passer. Embiid is so huge that he both draws everyone towards him and that, but also if he stops, they have to guard him on the perimeter too. Or if you, right. you know what I mean? Like they can both, or by the way, he can also take the ball and then he's an incredible passer too. Yes. So he can dish the ball to anyone else. It's a pick and roll where, where the, the number of options are more than two. Yes. It's like a pick and roll with like 17 options. Yes. But the other thing is to say is that, the, I never understood of all of the things involved in this trade. The one thing I, the argument I never understood was they won't, they won't be able to play together. Them playing together is the ideal situation for both of them because yes. Harden is best. I love James Harden point guard. Yes. I hate James Harden. Number one offense option. Right. I hate that James Harden. I hate the guy who throws up 16 threes a game and hits right. five of them and goes and, to the line 26 times. And gets and does nothing but get fouled. I hate that James Harden. What I love is James Harden, offensive Neo from the Matrix level genius who yeah. sees the whole court and is the and is probably the best passer in the league or you know, the top three passer in the league. And so that to me, the thing that made the most sense was install James Harden in this offense and have him run everything and have Embiid do what Embiid does the best, which is just take up space, dominate everybody, occasionally hit a 17-foot jump shot because he just takes the ball, faces the basket, rises up, is taller than everybody else, and has an incredible touch. That part of it made sense. Where I thought they were in trouble when I first read the trade was they gave up so much. I mean, forget about the picks for a second. The picks 
the picks are uh, will be a problem later, but who cares? Right. This is the window. You go for it now. They gave up Seth Curry, arguably yes. the best three-point shooter in the game this year. But when I watched them play, I was like, oh, wait a second. I was thinking about this all wrong. They basically swapped out Seth Curry for James Harden. Yeah. <laughs> gave up a bunch of picks. They gave up Andre Drummond. Who cares? And suddenly you have Seth Curry's three-point shooting ability minus a few percentage points, plus the best passer in the game, plus an unstoppable free-throw-taking machine, yes. plus a guy who penetrates like crazy and gets to the hoop all the time, plus the best pick-and-roll combination now in basketball by far. Yeah, I was like, oh, no one's stopping these guys. He's going to go win it all. Like, And I know it's the Knicks, and I know it's like two games, but I, it's suddenly like, the Daryl Morey genius yeah. suddenly revealed itself to me by saying like, look what happens when you take the pieces that we have Tyrese Maxey and Tybal and all these great perimeter defenders. Yeah. And you just install arguably when he is playing the position he should play, which is point guard, the best offensive basketball genius, the sport knows at a, at a, in a, at a complete level, passing, scoring, getting yeah. to the line, penetrating, doing all that stuff. And I, it suddenly became incredibly obvious to me that barring injury, this is the team coming out of the East this year. I think that's right. I, I mean, as good as I thought it was going to be, you know, Harden and Bede are two of my favorite players to see them playing together. Uh, I like Daryl a lot, wanted to see this work out for him. It, it, it looked even better. If it looked healthy, so much better. Yeah, <laughs> if, they're, if they're healthy, I don't see who's beating them. I mean, no, you know, I, don't, I don't even see Durant. I don't see Durant and Kyrie beating them. I don't no. see, certainly don't see the Celtics beating them. I don't see, I don't even see the Bucks beating them because now you also have that, that the crazy thing is that Tybal is so good defensively. Yeah. Like he, like he, um, on a number of occasions, that game was close in the fourth quarter. It the was? Knicks came back and took the lead in the fourth quarter and, and Philly ended up winning by 20 or something. <laughs> and part of the reason was that every time, a Nick, like every time, like Emmanuel quickly or someone like penetrated and tried to kick Tybal was standing exactly where the ball was going and yep. just caught it and then <laughs> let a fast break. So you have, when you, when it comes to, when it comes to the nets, which is the obvious competition for them, the, the nets and maybe the bucks, because the bucks are still sneaky. Good. You can put uh, Embiid can take Durant and he's taller than Durant and Tybal can take Kyrie. And suddenly like, that, that when you match up these guys, you have you have people who can take away their best weapons, and and then offensively they just look unstoppable. I was I got really scared because the Celtics have sa managed to salvage what looked like a an impossibly disappointing season, yeah, and are now it, in a decent position to be in the four five zone for the for the playoffs. The Celtics aren't getting past either of these teams. The Celtics are not getting past Philly. Like it's a, you, you got to be out of your mind. Like they'd have to play perfect basketball for seven games. Yeah, to win to win uh, a series against against either either the Nets or the or the Sixers. But you think they could beat Miami? Well, Miami, I Miami is like you know what Miami is. Remember those Chiefs teams? Of course you do. They're like fourteen and two Chiefs yep. teams who would then yep. lose at home in the, yep. in the first round. That's my. That's <laughs> that was what I Tennessee think. this year. The tight. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes. I. That to me, they're like a really. They're like a, a fundamentally perfect team that plays incredibly solid. Uh, in in fact, better than solid. Incredibly good defense. And then they've got these guys who run around and and shoot threes. And if they get hot, if Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson have good games and. Then yes, of course the Heat can beat anybody. Sure, but uh, but I also don't 
I just don't trust them in the way buy that I, I don't buy it in the, when you think about, okay, the heat against the Sixers, um, Levitard says this all the time, our, our, uh, overlords at Meadowlark media yes. are, are, are the head goon of all of the goons, uh, at Meadowlark says this all the time, go with the team that has the best players, like make it, put all the players down on paper and do a draft. And the team with, if you, if you're saying Sixers heat, well, who are the first two guys that you draft if you're starting a new team from those rosters it's Embiid and Harden right so right. so and then right. maybe after that it's Jimmy Butler then Jimmy Butler and then, right yeah and then maybe after that it, you even get to like Tyler Hero or something but you're go like they have the two best players on the court when yeah. they match up and you just would bet if you had to bet on on that series you would bet on the Sixers yeah no I think that's right I think that's right I don't know the Bulls too. The Bulls. I mean, I don't know. I mean, would would you take DeRozan over over either? Uh, I mean, you know, the, I don't know. The problem with DeRozan is he only takes two pointers. He's and re, granted, he's having these games where he's like seventeen of twenty one, <laughs> shooting like nineteen foot jump shots. But I, I again, put Tybal on him and see what happens. You know, yeah. put put Simmons on him and see what happens. If assuming Simmons comes back and is actually healthy and ready to play. Like that, when you have, when your main offensive weapon is a guy who basically only takes 20 foot jump shots, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I, it's hard for me to buy it. I mean, again, very good team. So fun to watch. Like fun I really watch. like watching the Bulls. Yeah. 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 But I, I just can't quite buy them over the Sixers or the Heat or the, or even the Nets or, but I think that Bulls and the Celtics would be a good matchup i would love it if the bulls and celtics played in the first round because i think that would be a cool series that would be fun that would be fun all right before we're doing our one last meaningless thing we need to choose our unofficial nickname right okay so i i i feel like i've lost the thread here the unofficial nicknames for those of you who might not know we determined a while ago that some teams in baseball have unofficial nicknames like the angels you you call the halos the yankees you call the bronx bombers the white Sox you call the pale hose right and so we decided that we're going to give every team in the unofficial. league an unofficial nickname. Right. So we let's let's take stock of where we are. What what are the ones we have actually given out? Okay, um, so in the National League Central, right. we 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 decided to call the Cubs the Bleachers. Right. Right. So we did that, and then oh, we called the Reds the Chilies. The Chilies, right? The Chilies, and then uh, so did we do anything with the Cardinals? Cardinals are the Redbirds. Oh, Redbirds are red. Right. Milwaukee is the Brew Crew. Brew Crew. Yeah. Uh, and and the Pirates are the Bucks. Okay. So we got all of those. We didn't even Central is Central is done. And we moved on to the NL East. Atlanta, and we did Washington and we called them the Beltways. But I have to say, we got many angry people who say, How could you not call them the Federals or the Feds? The Feds is good. The Feds is good. Remember, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, the way you judge this is you imagine yourself with your friend and you are living in Boston and you're saying, hey, you want to go out to the game tonight? And your friend says who they're playing and you go, oh, they're playing the feds. Right. Do you want to go to the game? The Halos are in town. The Halos Do you want to go to town. the game? The feds are in town. The, the feds, feds are, is good. Man. Feds the is feds better is... than Beltways, I think. Now, we, we got another option on Twitter. I wish I had written down who it was, but someone said they should be called the 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 double X's or the X. Oh, I heard this. Yes, for, because it's X Expos, the yes. former Expos. I believe that was Eric, uh, who is uh, just happens to uh, Eric Guild, who just happens to be married to uh, our dear friend Ellen Adair. 
Okay. Uh, and uh, and Eric is uh, is an actor I, and a and a and a great guy himself. I wish there were. I like the concept. I wish there were a simple way to say it. That's and what I, I was saying because you had like yeah. had XXs and double X, but it doesn't. It doesn't quite doesn't roll quite off the tongue. Feds, yeah, the I, the feds is the winner. I is, like, forget the Bellways. It's the feds. The, the Bellways feds. is the backup, the backup uh, unofficial <laughs> nickname. But I, we got to go. The feds is great. Okay, so Miami yes. is the fish. Well, no, wait, this, so this week we're doing the Phillies. That was that is this right. week's choice. So we've gotten quite a few people who ring in, but of course, I just mentioned Alan Adair. We need to have Alan, uh, who is a the biggest Phillies fan we know. Uh, she has recommended two options, and both are options that people have, have talked about. One is the Revolutionaries or the Revs, okay. which is kind of fun. The other is the Bell Ringers. So I guess that's the Ring the Bell whole thing with your with your Liberty Bell. So what I'm learning from the the Beltways Feds controversy of 2022 yes. is that is that these are best. The shorter they are, the better they are. Yeah. Right, the yes. fish, the the halos, yes. the 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 bravos for the Braves. Right. So I so my friend Mike suggested one for the Phillies, which is the Fightins, but P H P H I G H T I N apostrophe <laughs> the Fightin Phils, which is pretty good. It's really good. But what what would you call them? What is what is in our? You're talking to your friend scenario. They're just the Fightin. The Fightins. So you're saying, hey, who's coming to town this week? The Fightins. Let's go watch the let's go watch the uh, the Padres play the Fightins. <laughs> <laughs> now the Bells, the Bells, uh, the, the Bells. Uh, the, oh, the other, the other, uh, the other potential vote that came in was the Cracks for the Crack and the Liberty Bell. But the Cracks yeah. sounds like uh, it. It sounds like that they're, they're. It's like negative in some yeah, way. Yeah, it like doesn't. It. I don't think it works, and it, yeah. I don't connect it directly the revs is pretty good but it's like eh, the revs are in town that could be the new england revolution, new england revolution yeah yeah so that doesn't work <laughs> for me i think bell ringers is too long and that's and the problem the bells i don't think that's gonna work or the ringers the ringers are in town does that work i gotta say i'm leaning fightings the fighting fills is the fighting <laughs> is pretty good i don't know i i it's also fun if you write it out it looks good yeah, it looks good. Yeah, all right. You know what? Let's go with the fightings because what we have proven again and again is we will change. We'll we change better. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, no question. Yeah, right. So, so tentatively, we are going with the fightings, right, uh, for your Phillies. And then, what are we going to do for next week? Oh, wait, did we do the Mets? No, I I can't remember if we did the Mets, but the uh, the Mets it, it occurred to me already kind of have one, which is the Let's Goes. Oh, right? we did the Amazons though for the Mets. The Amazons, yeah, yeah, the Amazons. Um. I mean, which is now good because there's two teams in the NL East that have apostrophe, uh, <laughs> Amazons and Fightins. <laughs> All right, Amazons and Fightins is good. All I right. think the I think the Let's Goes should be the the backup. Oh, I backup, like the Let's Goes. Uh, the Let's yep. Goes should be the backup unofficial nickname <laughs> for the Mets. The Amazons <laughs> and the Let's Goes. All right. All right. So now we're so we're done with the NL East, right? We've got the NL East and the NL Central are done. So the question okay. is, do we fit? Do we wrap out? the NL and go to the NL West or do we go to the AL? I think we finish up the NL. So I think we right. go to the NL West. So do any teams in the NL West have unofficial nicknames? You're talking about the D-backs. I mean, I guess the D-backs is, is the, the one that you would say exists, but we've, sort we've of decided, exists. 
but we've decided that you can't just shorten the right name like the padres the... it can't be the pods yeah but it can be the friars it's the friars yeah <laughs> that's that's the one that you that i think exists already is the friars yeah. all right the friars is good okay what do we have for the dodgers uh boy it seems like there's got to be some brooklyn related thing right yeah um all right we might let's make the dodgers this, this week's this week's okay so submit yeah. your submit your unofficial nickname for the dodgers on twitter to me on or twitter. joe and then we'll do the giants and uh the d-backs and uh the rockies do the rockies don't have really like uh no all right well i think we have to do the rest of them i don't think any of them have uh other yeah, than the friars they... i don't think any of them have a good one so yeah all right don't worry we'll be done with this surprising to me because those are there's some of these are, I mean, the San Francisco and LA, it surprises me that we don't have any, they're very old franchises. They are. Well, they used to call the Dodgers, the bums, right? Like, right. It was like a whole thing, but it's like that they left, they left, you know, and now they're, they're in LA. That doesn't really fit in the same. In the yeah, same also event. the problem with the bums is it is a, it's a nickname that came out of a now defunct rivalry, right? It was the right. it was Brooklyn and New York, right? Right, or Brooklyn and the Giants, rather. It, yeah, but in it's still but, the Giants, but it's but in, but in but in different contexts. So like the the bums, dem bums came out of like a a, a completely different scenario. That's right. It doesn't where fit anymore. It I don't think it quite fit. fits, especially right, because let's... they have a two hundred fifty million dollar payroll and have dominated the division <laughs> for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> all right give us your dodgers nickname all right we're doing one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing it's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing we talk about sports and we draft things we know like how beaches are terrible places to go no hot fruit for michael no diet coke for joe the podcast uh, and I will let you go first. So my daughter, um, this is slightly more meaningful than it should be, but my daughter had her appendix out uh, a couple days ago. She's okay. Everything's fine. She's back. She's fully recovered or 95% recovered. Um, and, uh, you know, scary, but also the most common kind of surgery that can happen to a person really, especially to a kid and uh, shout out to uh, children's hospital, Los Angeles um, with a fantastic place that uh, did just know, they just know what they're doing there in terms of dealing with kids and anxiety and, and scariness. Um, they did a wonderful job. The nurses were incredible. The doctors were great. And the, the only real, uh, the, the meaninglessness that comes out of this in a situation that created a lot of meaning, parental and, and emotional and otherwise, is that the appendix, you know how big the appendix is? Do, no. you, know, do you know this? It's essentially the size of your pinky finger uh, from the last knuckle to the tip of your finger. Oh, so wow. It's very, very small. You think of the, when I picture the appendix, I picture it like the human liver. That's, yeah, that's, no, the, size that's, of, right. that's the size of this thing, especially given the pain and trauma that it caused my daughter. Uh, it's the time, it's minuscule. It is so, so, so small. They pull it out. They, it was laparoscopic surgery. They pull it out through your belly button. I mean, that's how small it is. They, wow. they make an incision in your belly button and pull it out through that incision. And I, I was just uh, dumbfounded at how, uh, how tiny this thing is that can, when inflamed, cause 
such pain and, and sadness and misery and trauma. Um, I thought that was fascinating. I had no idea that it was I that small. I didn't yeah, know it's, that. it's I, like, I it's, definitely had it just based on my, my view of those, those thoroughly anatomically correct, uh, uh, things we used to see in our science books. Sure. That the appendix was fairly large. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's like a, it's like a centimeter to an inch maximum. Wow. Not wild. That is really wild. Dude, yeah, a couple. Thing. I guess a couple couple centimeters. Couple centimeters long is what it is. Fascinating. Wow. That is yeah. very. That is very interesting. We're and and your daughter's well. That's that's. She's that's well. Fine. She's fine. She's back at school. Everything's fine. That's what matters. All right. My one last meaningless thing is so so. I've mentioned my dog before, uh, Wesley. Um, We've never really trained Wesley. We're not really a training family, uh, I have come to find. Uh, we've tried at different times to train him to do different things, and occasionally we can get him to sit or do something else. But I appear to have trained my dog to do something, and it's not something I wanted to do. Um, my dog will start barking when he needs to go out, which is good. And what I will do is I will then go to the door and open the door, and my dog will then look at me, and go okay and then i'm like go out and the dog will continue to look at me then i will walk out and then the dog will walk out with me and we'll be standing there and he'll just be up looking at me and then i'll be like go go and he'll start walking to the backyard and then he'll stop and he'll look back at me and then i'll say go and then he will go a little further and then he'll get to the edge of the grass and then he'll look at me and I'll say, go. And that's when he goes and does his business. So this is what my dog now does. It is now a forego process for me to get my dog to go to the bathroom. When I And I don't know how this began. I don't know how this became. But it's like it has become clearly a game to him that it is literally like I and I've tried it now where I'm like, listen, I'm not doing that today. I'm just going to open the door. He will not go out unless I step outside and then he will walk out with me and he will not go unless I keep prodding him to go. It's like, it's like he forgets where he's out there and then, and then forgets again. It's like, it's like, it's basically dog memento is what it is. <laughs> how, how, how many, how many goes do you have to give? On Usually average? four. Usually there's go to go outside go to go to the to the backyard go to go to the edge of the grass and then the final go to actually get him to use use the bathroom so um there you go so i have a perfectly trained dog well it's like you it's like the you you it's like you did train him pavlovian style yeah except that it takes four rings <laughs> of the bell for him to salivate <laughs> i don't understand what he gets out of it to be honest with you i just don't know what it is it's almost like but for him, it's just it's just a party. It's just a little. It's just a fun little game. So, so there you go. We did it. We've we've uh, we've made it through another one. So we're gonna come back around and do a, a quick draft and uh, answer a couple of questions. If you want to join us for that, as always, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pause. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.